0: Beer with the boys. Beer, 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 beer boys.
1: Beer with the boys. Beat the boys. beat the boys. That's the cue. Okay, now I can hear. The, I can hear the. Everything. I always coming.
0: gotta. I gotta. I always gotta mute it while the song's going on. Otherwise, you just hear my heavy breathing and panting in the background. I'm getting pumped up. But welcome to Beer with the Boys. The first happy hour of February, week five of the year, our fifth unique guest of the year. We're rolling this year. 2021 is the year of beer.
1: I thought every year was the year of beer.
0: Well, th- but this is the official one. This is where I'm deeming it now. It's the year of beer and uh, we're on a roll. We have a hell of a week of interviews ahead of us. This is the one of of a couple and uh, a couple more recordings and, and a lot more on the slate.
1: Yeah, we're busy people. Busy we're guys busy. making busy we're... moves.
0: Well, also trying to be full-time employees and coach and live our lives. Be be h- good husbands and boyfriends to each other. Yeah.
1: Thank God yes. all the noises stopped. So the dog was going crazy. And then our sque- or squeaker, our dryer, apparently, like, I looked at The bearings are going bad, so it squeaks. So... Steph trying to trying to get some laundry done. I just hear the, the dryer in the background squeaking all loud. Okay. So now it's under control now. Hopefully there's no, Hello. no more noises coming from upstairs.
0: So hell of a household you have over Let's there. See what's going
1: It's just been a, a wild <laughs> ride today. And I spent like an hour trying to fix a printer that I didn't get anywhere with. So, well, even better. They're
0: here and we get to do some fun stuff before we can call it a day. Oh yeah. Yes. So, um, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, this is, you know, we're recording this on february 1st it will be released on february 3rd um but since it's a happy hour we're not going to get into all the news and updates there's a hell of a lot of stuff that happened today um that we're going to talk about on our on our on the beyond the bar episode for the week so stay tuned for that
1: wait what happened
0: we'll talk about it did, on, I, on did I miss on did next something What's we'll talk on? about it on, on next one on, on I, I missed something i'm You'll see as soon as you're days. on social media. It was, it was it's pretty wild day, but happy uh, Black History is, Month, is it we'll with say that us? first and foremost. Something months. with us? No, 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 no. Oh, no. okay. No. Not well, no. Okay. Not directly related. We'll get to it. Right. Okay. We'll get to it on another show. Sounds we'll talk good. uh to our to our guest here. We won't leave him hanging any longer. We are very excited about this uh this guest all the way from Texas. This man has lived seems like seven different lives. He has has failed and succeeded and failed and succeeded and we'll talk about that a multitude of times and uh, and just a uh, just a really great friend that uh, that that we're we're happy to reconnect
2: with here. So
0: uh, on this week's happy hour, we bring on Mister Dan Eck. How the hell are you?
2: Hey guys, I'm doing really really well. It's really good to see you guys and thank you for uh, emphasizing the, the word failure several times <laughs> in my introduction. I really appreciate that. No, and we will
0: we we will get to that point at some point during this interview, but uh, but a good sort of inside joke uh, amongst us. Um, but you, as I said, you have lived a multitude of lives and 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 very successful in, in a lot of different things. But I think instead of just butchering all that kind of stuff, why don't you kind of just give your your where where you've been and and, and where you are what you do and
2: yeah sure absolutely um well I I went to a little college in Wisconsin not Lakeland I went to Beloit College and not knowing what to do with the degree in archaeology I went to law school as one you know did back in the late 90s (laughs) and I practiced law for a few years in Chicago and I kind of lost I lost interest in that after you know the eighty-hour weeks and you know never seeing my 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 kid awake or anything like that. So I jumped ship from the law firm practice in the nonprofit world, and so I started working in museums as a nonprofit. Uh, I, was, I was first. I was a lawyer. I was a lawyer for the Field Museum in Chicago. So I was doing uh, museum law, which is uh, very you know, actually pretty more interest more interesting than it sounds, guys. <laughs> it really is museum law. I was borrowing uh, artifacts from Egypt. I was helping scientists import uh, biological specimens when they were, you know, getting, they were on their way back from from uh, West Africa. It, it was a fascinating job. Uh, from there, I worked in museums. Another, I worked at my first stint in Sheboygan, and I worked at the John Michael Kohler Art Center as a deputy director at the Kohler Art Center. And after that, um, I did a little consulting work, including. Uh, some hourly work for this little college outside of Sheboygan called Lakeland College. And so I did some work for them for a, a while and was asked to join full time and I needed uh, health insurance. So I said, <laughs> I, sure, I would love to. And I was at Lakeland for about nine years and the last four of which I was honored to be Lakeland's president. And after that, after nine years at Lakeland, I went back to the museum world for a, couple stints at different museums, including one in West Texas, which brought me out to West Texas. And after three years out there, I ended up here in Austin, uh, Texas, and I'm working for a uh, a nonprofit that focuses on conservation. It's called Hill Country Conservancy, and we help preserve open space and uh, habitat for uh, animals, flora and fauna, and uh, help preserve clean water resources in the hill country of uh, just outside of Austin, and all this water is all necessary to have a great city like Austin. We're also building a 30-mile-long hiking trail from Austin down into the southwest counties uh, south of Austin. So that's where I've ended up, and a few other things in there that aren't worth mentioning. But that's kind of the uh the quick story. Excellent,
0: hell hell of a of a career path, and and all over the place a little bit, but all you know, kind of that's for sure. Those yeah. those passions remaining in the nonprofit world. Uh, to an extent, which is, uh, is always a bit, we're both obviously nonprofit guys ourselves. So uh, um, we, we love to hear that, but uh, awesome. Well, the first question, well, I guess second question now, and then we'll start the timer as we ask everybody to, to bring to the table. What, uh, what are you drinking today?
2: Ooh, okay. Well, I have some whiskey. It's uh TX blended. So Texas it's, Texas is getting known for actually making, you know, whiskey. This is blended here. It wasn't actually distilled in Texas, but it's a it's it's a good brand. It's just a nice smooth whiskey. It's, uh Balcones is what what I wanted, but man, it's just so pricey. So I I get Balcones because that's actually distilled in Texas. I get that Nick, every, you know, few months I might splurge for a bottle of that. But, get that keep uh, yeah. keep the nice bottle. <laughs> yeah. And that was a right. that was a hefty glass you got there. That was it's, it's got a, a big ice ball in it it's not all see oh, it, let's that's blame mostly the ice. ice we'll blame the ice sure <laughs> that's right last an your hour, listeners you know. can see the ice ball in there so
1: it's <laughs> it's got to last a whole hour so you know that's right we exactly. understand
0: excellent scooter what do you got um
1: so this was one of my favorites that i just i picked up a while ago so just picked up not um uh-huh. but it's a rebel distiller's collection of bourbon whiskey from i'm not sure where Always do oh, from Kentucky. Um, so it's actually a cool bottle because it's the new liquor store that opened up by, by 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 Bayshore. Um, apparently they got to go and take like the, like the owners of the store went down there to Kentucky to try barrels, and they got to select this one. It got bottled and was only sold in that store. So, the dude talked me into it, and it's delicious. So,
2: and the cool bottle is important. Yeah, I told him. Oh, that's what so I good told and labeling.
1: Like I like to pick it by what bottles the coolest. He's like, mm-mm, you're doing it wrong, man. <laughs> and he explained it to me and ran me through like fifty different whiskeys and bourbons. I was like, all right, you, I'm gonna trust you. So went is, with his recommendation. Guy.
0: This is the guy. So and I am on for one more week water during this. I mm. uh, tomorrow is my official last day of the whole thirty, and I can have alcohol again. And I will say whiskey is the only thing that I'm really actually craving is just being able to pour a glass of whiskey. And uh, I will look forward to doing that at 12.01
2: AM on Wednesday morning. But do, <laughs> so, do you feel better, Jake? I mean, does this whole 30 thing make you feel?
0: I, I do. Awesome? You know, the first couple of, of, of days sucked, but now that we're, here like i really let myself go to, to you know be completely frank hadn't worked out in a couple of months and really wasn't even paying attention to a diet and i started just feel like crap all the time um but now like i just i i, I i'm not out of breath when i walk up my stairs that's a big big plus and uh I've, I've i've lost uh um getting close to 20 pounds throughout the month so it's uh it's a pretty pretty cool thing i just feel wow. feel better i feel energized i'm focused throughout the day i'm not falling asleep at 2 p.m. or something so uh it's uh it works and uh it's i'm certainly on the side that you know not all diets work for everybody i just found one that worked for me and we're uh you know excited to keep it rolling to some extent and you know not as strict but uh you know continue kind of just really just eating clean and uh you know maybe maybe more whiskey and less beer who knows cheers to that cheers
1: that was my plan it's working out
0: (laughs) there you go so um. All right. Clock is, is, is started here, and, and you know uh, how we like to get started with the shotgun start. Um, three things that you have uh, you have done new, or three things that you plan to do new in the you know, not so distant future. Here, uh, be that uh, a food that you're trying, a new drink, a book, movie, whatever it might be.
2: All right. Well, to continue your theme, I I resumed running since we moved to Austin. So it's relatively new. We moved here into December and we were living out in Midland. There's just nowhere, you know, Christine would run all the time, you know, I mean, she's, that's just what she does, yeah. but I didn't like running on the streets, but now here we've got these trails. So I started trail running again. So I've been back out running, you know, two, three times a week, which feels great. Um, very slow, but it's fun. Um, what else we are being, a. I guess, well, I want to learn a musical instrument. I've been struggling with that for years. So I am going to get serious about the harmonica.
1: Ooh, and so cool. I,
2: you know, picked up a, a book and I picked up a, you know, reasonably priced harmonica <laughs> because I camp a lot and it's portable. So not, a, not a all
0: gold one or anything. <laughs> oh no, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know, also just going with the Texas theme, you know, it goes with the beard and the, cowboy hat. And I figured the harmonica was a natural next step.
0: Harmonica or fiddle. It's
2: one of the two. Or fiddle. Yes, exactly. There's, there's actually a violin school around the corner from us. And I could actually, I could actually do that. Uh, three things. Well, the third thing I'm really going to try to do hard is I'm going to try to balance out work and life with this gig, this time, uh, I have a tendency to let work kind of overwhelm the life side of things. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a lot of reading on that so I can figure out, I don't know if it's a balance or if it's a synthesis or something, but I'm going to do that better this time. I keep saying that, but this time I will.
0: Excellent. Hey, got to speak it into existence and uh, it'll, it'll work out. Excellent. Three, three great things are there. I love it. And maybe we can talk you into the, into the fiddle. so. (laughs) Yeah, we can we can get you playing on the podcast one day. So we
1: just need to we start our band, we got a fiddle guy. So we're gonna play in Texas.
0: (laughs) Now we can have a band in
2: Texas. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, that's that's how the song goes. You you wanna (laughs) play in the band, you gotta have you gotta have a fiddle in the band, I think is the lyrics. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you know, before we get too far though, I was just having a flashback. Uh oh. Seriously, this just popped into my mind. Uh oh. I don't remember when this was. Yeah, this is Lakeland. But you guys did some sort of video, some sort of vlog. Didn't you guys do some YouTube show or something from the wrestling room or the warehouse that the wrestling room was in or something like
0: that? Yeah, a little bit. Like Zach Rogers, who was sort of the assistant coach and also a student would would start interviewing the wrestlers throughout that. And we were typically the, the two that were on there as the most entertaining of the bunch and then they had the uh like how well do you know your or your roommate challenge between us two i had that a couple times i just remember i
2: just had this vision of i don't know if it was one or both of you sitting in this storage room you know with these old metal desks laying around (laughs) you know
1: (laughs) that actually just popped up on my memories when i watched it that was embarrassing
2: (laughs) (laughs) almost no
0: beers at that time
1: goofy looking dude sitting by a desk good times (laughs) asking the, wor- the worst questions possible like what do you do for the- for a normal day in college well you know i go to class and then i wrestle yeah <laughs> it's We're about class
2: it. <laughs> and
0: eat lunch and wrestle
2: and... right go to the cafeteria well that'll be on the uh extras on the uh blu-ray <laughs> edition there you the go <laughs> we'll find those here with the boys blu-ray excellent a blu-ray that'd be exciting yeah, I don't know. I don't know. what <laughs> Nobody does that anymore. No. I almost said DVD, but then, you know, disc. Maybe we'll go with the LaserDisc. Jeez. They'll, they'll make takes, a comeback. Takes me back. Just like right, Va- I'm derailing your show. Oh No, you're
1: fine. <laughs> so we encourage it. We encourage this kind of conversation. It makes it more fun. Um, <clears throat> but I have my first question for you is you're a man of non-profit. How the hell have you done that for like a majority of your professional career because i've been in nonprofit for my professional career and it's been like oh, i don't know six almost years? six years of it yeah um <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you I, i've learned the the fun parts and the the not so fun parts of working for a nonprofit. so i want to know how you've done it for so long
2: wow that's a i guess there's two components to that i'm going to say there's the the skill set component and then there's the I don't know if you'll call it the, the, the mental component. I think the skill set component is I came at it as kind of a second career. You know, I've been a lawyer and I wasn't a, I started out as a trial lawyer cause that's what everybody on t- you see on TV, you know, it's exciting and fast paced and dramatic. And that's everything that trial law is not <laughs> uh, at least at the large firm practice. It's very slow and boring and, and you work hard to make rich people richer. Um so I moved into transactional law, which is more about contracts and intellectual property and labor law and all of these things that companies have in the background that make all these things that make a company run. And so as I got to know more about that, I, I think I, I developed a skill set that in the nonprofit world, these nonprofits were looking for. They were looking for people that could, you know, kind of run the unsexy part of the nonprofit. Um after I left the Field Museum, and I went to the Kohler Arts Center. I was a deputy director for administration. So I took care of budgets and finance and human resources and IT and the grounds, you know, all this stuff that's basically transactional. And so that was kind of the that was the skill set that a lot of nonprofits were looking for because they could always find the program people. They could find the curator. You know, they could find the social worker. Um, and then sometimes you can find the art person or the social worker who has a business background, but sometimes you can't. So I, I like to tell people I can bring that skill set to your nonprofit and I can still respect the mission. I won't turn you into a for-profit business, but I'll use those tools to help the for help the nonprofit mission further along. And the, you know, then there's the, I guess the second part of it is the mentality. It's, you know, the nonprofit world is, I don't know, it's weird. Um, and you, you, you meet some interesting people, um, don't know how to say it other than that so it it takes a different type of stamina than the for profit world because it always feels like you're you know ten dollars short and two months behind schedule and understaffed you know the computer's six years old monitors flickering but you've got to have that mentality of okay that's fine we can still do our mission we can still carry that out and I think I've been able to you know withstand that mentality part while improving my practical skills and then take that from one nonprofit to another. Um, yeah, I've, I've job top a little bit, but in the nonprofit world, that's often how you get promotions. You know, there's not a lot of upward mobility within certain nonprofits cause they're small. Am I answering your question anyway, Jeremy? Yeah, no, I mean,
1: <laughs> I think you did. Um, I was just curious cause yeah, the nonprofit world is, is always a place of intrigue, I guess, where you never know. You learn a lot about things when you're, when you're within the the nonprofit world
2: and it's interesting. Well, in the nonprofits, uh, you know, I don't know. Okay. I'm preaching to the choir here, but in the nonprofit world, sometimes we think employees will work for peanuts because they love the mission. So we don't have to pay them a whole lot. And, you know, I don't know, you know, budgets are tight. You pay people, you know, what you can, but people still have to make a living. So I've always tried to advocate for, you know, paying more when you can, you know, Believe it or not, hmm. Jake, despite your experience at Lakeland when I was there, <laughs> but, you know, we try, but it's, there, like I said, there's still that mentality that it should be basically serving wages. And that's why I think nonprofits, you know, it's always a struggle. People will work at one and then they'll, they'll jump ship for another nonprofit because they can make, you know, an extra $6,000 a year and that's a lot, or they can get better health care. So that's, what's going to happen until... We figure out better ways to do that, but it feels good. I will tell you, I leaving the law firm, the downtown Chicago, the 350 person law firm, my partnership papers were on the desk being processed and I told them I was leaving and I never regretted that move for a moment. I've never felt the urge to get back into the for-profit world, not for a second, thankfully. So Kelly, yeah.
1: follow-up question to that. What was that? What did that decision look like in your mind? Because, from my understanding, from what I see on TV, par- making partner at a, a big law firm is a huge, like step up, and like yeah. stepping down from that to take on something else. Like, what was that thought process when you were making oh, that decision?
2: Yeah, great question. The partnership at a law firm—it was always kind of jokingly called as the golden handcuffs, because once you accept that, you're kind of locked into that it's really hard to get out of it because you have to make an equity investment. I don't know what it's like now, but this is back in the, you know, around 2000, 2001, you had to buy into the partnership. So you basically had to pony up. I don't remember what the amount was. Let's say it's, I'm going to make up a number. Let's say it's $50,000. You have to buy into the membership of the partnership. And, you know, very few people will have that cash you know, of, of my status at that point would have that cash. So basically you, you know, you borrow that money <laughs> for the privilege of becoming a partner. Um, and I just remember one partner, I remember one partner telling me once he, we were kind of reminiscing about things. We were talking, I was talking about childcare and struggling to, you know, cause my then wife was working and we had a young kid and he said, yeah, when my kids were young, I think we had a nanny. I'm not sure. And this guy didn't even know how his kids were being raised and not all of them are <laughs> like that, but that just kind of struck me, you know, and I kind of reflected on that. And so I luckily found that nonprofit job and just went i just remember going in there and saying yeah i'm out and they could you know they were just like what you know how could you not how could you not want all this heart disease and <laughs> you know yeah. I,
0: I never thought that just a few sentences could take away all my plans and
2: desires of wanting to go to law school and going that <laughs> okay. road. Okay. Right well, let me, it was dumb. No, no, no. <laughs> let, let me, let me fix that for you. Because the challenge with law school is the debt that you take out to go to law school. It's, you know, this is going to sound awfully sad and familiar to you guys, but the more debt you take out, you know, the higher wages you have to make to pay that back. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go to law school, I had friends when I was a lawyer that went, you know, they had full-time jobs and mm-hmm. then they went to, you know, they went to night school. Or went to school part-time at good schools in chicago at you know kent which i think is merged and then. but you know they got their law degree and they didn't come out with the big debt i came out of school with a huge amount of debt law school that i didn't pay off till i flip managed to flip a house and got lucky and you know sold a house for about 80 grand more than i paid for it and wrote out that check and then i was free and that was when right when i was leaving the law firm and everything i freed up cleared out my student debt so jake you can still do it just don't go into debt to do it there's no reason even if it takes you 5 years 6 years to get through law school cuz then the job at the field museum as a lawyer was a dream job for a lawyer but i took a 60% pay cut to take that job no but it was it was just you know i had my life back yeah so though, just... being a lawyer can be a great job you just got to you just got to manage the debt so you can do the type of law you want to do so you can open up you know your own firm, and you know because I've got friends that have managed to do that after several years. So we can talk. We can talk more, but okay, perfect. I wouldn't. Don't give up on the dream.
0: I'm just picturing just Marshall Erickson from How I Met Your Mother right now. He goes into corporate loss because they need all the money, but he wants to be an environmental lawyer. Yeah, that's, well, a, that's what I'm seeing right now. I love it. Yeah, well, that's um, what happens. So. <laughs> excellent. So you you made the you made the, the, the switch over to the nonprofit world. You know worked you know kind of in the, in the in the lawyer side of things for a little bit what you know where, and this is where we all met for the first time at at you know then lakeland college now lakeland university what was that decision like jumping away from the law side of things to become a president of a, of a university
2: well yeah i had done that you know when i was at the museum the field museum i constantly asked for non-law projects. Where can I help out on the administrative side? So I wanted to build that resume up. And then I jumped to the Kohler Arts Center to be their deputy yeah. director because by then I'd learned how to do budget. I'd done enough HR and personnel and contracts. And I convinced, convinced dear departed Ruth Kohler, she's amazing, just passed away. You know, I convinced her, I said, yeah, I can do this. And then I just read every book I could find about you know budgeting and stuff and proved it to her a few months later before she could figure out that I was full of crap. Um, And then the switch over to Lakeland, um, that was an interesting story. So I, like I said, I caught on there and was just doing some hourly work for Dr. Gould. You know, he just, he needed some help. He was ill at the time, Mm -hmm. kidney issues and there was this project he was not sure if he wanted me to handle it it was kind of a pet project for another person there i'm going to be very vague about stuff and so steve asked me to kind of look into this project give me some advice and i came back and i said not in so many words but i said this would we're gonna we're not you shouldn't do this i wouldn't do this at all you know this project i would you know run away from it yeah. and so he grilled me steve grilled me about it and decided not to do that project and i you know, immediately received the enmity of that, of that vice president. But, you know, after that, I think, you know, St- as Steve got sicker. He needed, he needed more assistance. So, you know, one Friday he said, how would you like to go full time? And I think I already mentioned that, you know, yeah, I need the, need the insurance. He goes, all right, well Monday you can go full time. I'm like, okay, great. So I thought I'd still be his assistant. And, you know, and then Monday he says, okay, how'd you like, you're going to be the executive vice president and these two v- VPs are going to report to you. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't know who any of these people were. So they brought me, Steve brings me to this staff meeting, you know, his leadership team meeting, and they're all looking at me like, who's this guy? And I didn't know what the hell I was doing there either. Um, And that's, so I was running the administrative side. Once again, the facilities, the finance, the IT, the grounds, uh, dining services, all those things reported up to me. And once again, I just pretended to know what I was doing until I could figure it out. And you know, I had I had good people, you know, there. I mean you know, Mark Wagner, come on. I mean, how can you not legend yeah. love Mark Wagner and and so that's how I ended up in that role. Um, and then I became president after that. No drama whatsoever, no story to tell there at all. So
1: no breaking news story for us.
2: No. no. <laughs> oh. Absolutely. Well, other than, you know, I yeah, I, I enjoyed working for dr gould and you know he retired and there was a change and i left i took another job in the nonprofit world and i left on a friday and got a call over the weekend and i said okay i'll come back for i'll come back for two weeks so i extended my start at my new job for two weeks just to help stabilize things and that turned into four years as -hmm. the president crazy
0: not
2: a bad crazy
1: times. Crazy <laughs> I rem- times. I remember the tweets we had back and forth about it was like the Marvel universe or something.
0: No idea what those
1: were. You remember those? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I remember <laughs>
0: that. Yeah. Uh, it was, and, and that was our very first interaction, as far as I can recall. It was, and and I guess this can be a, a question that I was going to ask is, we as a group of wrestlers and probably a few Zetas. I don't even know who was all there, but but. Jeremy and I were were in the, the campus center just arguing between Marvel and DC and which comic books universe was better. And we, people know we're Marvel or team Marvel all the way. You know, DC has its, you know, has its moments, yeah. but Marvel is night and day better and you just come out of nowhere. I don't think we have not met you before. I don't even know if we knew who you were when you Probably came not. up to us <laughs> and said, and like just joined in on the conversation, jumping on Marvel and, I don't even think you introduced yourself. You just walked away, and someone said, "Yeah, that was that was president." That's a new guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I didn't have the highest profile there before I became president. Um, but you, you know what I what I would explain to to a lot of you young uns is I had kids your age, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, my daughter right now is twenty three. My son's twenty one, so you know a little younger than you you guys, but you know, still, you know, I you know I could I can make the SpongeBob joke, you know, the best of them. um but yeah it was interesting and it was uh i don't know it was important you know lakeland was kind of going through well lakeland's perpetually going through tough times it's just you know the nature of higher education but it was a particularly unusual time and i think you know the reason i was there and stayed there was i was I think I was viewed as a non-threatening person to sit in that chair and take that role (laughs) and kind of stabilize the ship. I spent my first, you know, six or eight months, I swear on the road, you know, going around Wisconsin and going to see our donors and alumni in Florida and Arizona and, you know, just going to talk to people and kind of assure them, Hey, you know, Lincoln's fine. Don't worry. You know, yeah, we got some challenges, but we'll be fine. And I think that was probably Jake, you might've heard me say this before. I, you know, maybe you've forgotten, but every organization goes through a time where it needs a certain type of leader. Mm -hmm. And there'll be times where a university needs the, the academic, you know, the person who can, you know, really stand up and preach about what's good, you know, the liberal arts, what's so good about that and why people need that. And then other times you need, you know, somebody a little different. And I think I kind of fit in that role for four years. Um, for a certain period of time for Lakeland, uh, where I could make some changes and nudge some things along, the best I could until I couldn't anymore. Mm-hmm. So, it was great. I mean, the students, man, oh, they just had the you know, it was the best era for students at Lakeland.
1: <laughs> yeah, those first two years were really great. Yeah,
0: we won't argue. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Uh, no, I, I, I love that 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 thought process, and I think it, you know. And people have heard, you know, us talk about it on other episodes, especially when we were in the, you know, our political episodes during the the, the debates and whatnot that, you know, having that idea that every organization and even a country needs a certain type of leader at a certain time, and that can change and you know that was our argument of you know you don't always have to vote democrat or republican you can flip-flop a little bit if you know if it you know if it if it seems fit but i think that knowing that statement alone is is, is a big thing for for anywhere anywhere you go that you know it's not always a, a one-size-fits-all and it's not always going to be
2: consistent like that yeah and you know i didn't come up through you know pirate i mean i worked I'd worked in higher ed for five years basically before yeah. i became the president so you know i had been a professor you know i taught a couple of classes here and there but it was yeah it was just a really different experience in some ways i think that was good that i didn't have that because yeah. you know i didn't i didn't have 20 years of grudges held against my <laughs> fellow faculty members um, but you know at a certain point it also i think became a little bit of a detriment that i I wasn't as invested in the higher education world as somebody else, you know, like a, you know, like a David Black, you know, what a guy that guy is, you know. Um, Incredible. So I think that, I think I did the things I was supposed to do, you know, got the name change, found, I still haven't seen the damn football field. You know, I found the money (laughs) for the football field and I got to go back there and, you know, walk on it. Soccer field, I should say, the athletic field. And, you know, started off the, kicked off the campus center project, but I haven't seen those in their finished state. Yeah. You hightailed it to Texas. I don't blame I, I you. Hightailed it out of there. <laughs> hightailed it out of there. It was good. It was great. You know, I you know just uh, you know, I still stay in touch with a lot of the students, you know, uh, KJ Odom will text occasionally and mm-hmm. Josh McNeil and you know Eris Hargro and you know all those guys. So yeah. the cool era. Yes, cool absolutely. Not
0: not a, not a better era right there. That's right. Um, awesome. So moving forward, you know, you, you, you got out of higher education. And you completely got out of higher education after that. And, and and haven't really been back since. And you went to, if I understand correctly, went to help open an yes. art
2: museum You're right, in, in Midland. So talking oh, about... Sarasota, Florida. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, Sarasota. I do not blame you for not being able to follow... The, <laughs>
1: the, the Yeah, open book. up his we LinkedIn like I hour. am I have the
2: Facebook <laughs> yeah. portal,
0: I'm on the LinkedIn so. <laughs> I
1: creeped it before I'm like oh I gotta, yeah. gotta look up so something.
0: okay so you went to go open yes. uh a I remember that now you went yes. to, to open an art museum but well, what was that experience like getting to chance to be on on a on, on, on ground
2: level of a of, of a museum yeah not as cool as you'd think um <laughs> okay this was an art museum that was going to be part of a it was, it was owned by a college, Ringling College of Art and Design. And uh, right when I got there, they delayed the project. Um, so you know, I worked for a while. I love the people, love the school. Museums now finally open, but I was there for almost two years and then left. And then it finally opened up about two years after I left. And it was supposed to open that first year I was there. And so I did all this work, you know, set up the, you know, kind of a, it's probably all been, you know, thrown away since I left, but, you know, I created a budget multi-year budget plan and a staffing plan to take it from four employees up to 20 some employees and accreditation process and kind of built all this infrastructure for it. And, you know, then I, you know, it took me probably about six months and then I basically had nothing to do. So I took a lot of webinars and, you know, we did some educational programs for about a year and, the project kept getting extended the deadline for a number of reasons so i finally i got a call from a guy i knew up in Wisconsin he had been up in Wisconsin he said there's this museum out in west texas and he said don't judge just take a look at it the museum out in west texas that you know needs some you know needs a little bit of love so I went out there to midland which is you know way you know middle of nowhere middle midland middle of nowhere and just met just great people. Uh, um, Christina and I flew out there for three days, for Art Museum, mm-hmm. Children's Museum, and all on one campus. So it was kind of almost like a university setting, always beautiful campus with sculptures and grass, actual grass on West Texas. And so I got there, I had a leader that had been there for six months and then left. And so I spent the first several months kind of going around talking to donors and saying, don't worry, we'll be okay, you know, doing the whole stabilization thing. And then kind of got that place back on track. And we were there for about three years. And yeah, it was great. Honestly, if, you know, that museum had been in a different part of the country, I'd probably still be there. But it just wasn't, Midland's a tough place to live. Sure,
0: sure. And very different, you know. Texas is a very different place than yeah anywhere else in the country. Well, and, Texas uh, is like five countries in
2: one, or something. It's just <laughs> it's just insane. It's its own country, right? There, I'm gonna
1: so. I'm gonna be mad if I don't ask this, but have you seen the movie Friday Night Lights?
2: <laughs> have I seen the movie?
1: You lived in Odessa, I've, isn't that where? it
2: kind oh, of Oh yeah, t- no, ha- yeah. We so. lived in Midland. Odessa is a neighboring town. Odessa is kind of like the Sheboygan Falls to Sheboygan. Oh um so yeah odessa yeah i read the book i watched the movie watched the entire series hell yeah and playing yes. in the background right now while he's oh the yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah christine and i really got into the tv show did,
1: did you go to any right. go to any football games high school games
2: no, no. oh man no. i
1: would have gone to at least one just for fun
2: no i know <laughs> we kept talking about it but it was yeah i don't know just sit all the stupid. way
1: up in the corner and like hide from the crazy people be fine
2: <laughs> yeah, well, they, they played their games in Midland in like a semi-pro stadium. So it didn't, I was told it didn't have the, the high school feel anymore because it was in this giant stadium. It, that had, the, it had the Texas high school feel. <laughs> oh, my God. So we get to Midland and we're, we're, we're going around and looking at stuff. And I told somebody, man, I saw the Midland high school football field. That's, geez, that's better than the college football field that the university I worked at. and. She said, No, no, no. That was the that was the practice field you saw. <laughs> so and this is after this is after Lakeland's field got redone. So Jeez. the practice Jeez. field at Midland High School would put most D three schools to shame. It's
0: that was I mean I mean, I've never been to one, but you just see those on TV or pictures of those high school fields. It's absolutely oh, it's insane.
2: It it's is a- nuts whole different animal down there god forbid you want to have a classroom with less than 35 students or you want you know new computers or something like that don't even yeah. no. Nope. You know football football
1: yeah. all right but i do have a more serious question um and it's something that i've been trying to focus on more for myself like with coaching and just life in general um is like your mindset and something that you've mentioned a lot um in your professional career is that you've convinced people you can do something and then you, you kind of learn it afterwards or, um, something along those lines. Um, so I just want to know, like, how you, like, how do you have that confidence to be like, yeah, I I know how to do this and might not necessarily know
2: that you are going to learn.
1: Yeah. The confidence to know that you don't know, but you will know.
2: Wow. Yeah. Well, good question. Yeah, that is a really good question. And this is something I, I've talked to, I've talked to my daughter about this. When it comes, you know, down to, to looking for jobs and interviewing, men, and in particular white men, are extraordinarily confident. We can be very average, and we're confident we're the best in the world because that's how we've been kind of raised and told. You know, that's I hate to say it, but you know, and I, you know. I'm a, I benefit from that. I benefit from the privileges I've had of an extremely middle class upbringing and being uh, having the good fortune to choose my parents, you know, carefully, to be brought up middle class and Midwest and a male and a white male. And men are always more willing to be confident. Men will look at a job description and there'll be eight key characteristics and they'll hit four of them. and They'll say, "Heck yeah, I can do that." A woman will, you know, I'm generalizing here, but I've seen studies that say, you know, women might look at that and they'll hit six out of the eight and then they'll say, well, I only hit six out of the eight. Mm -hmm. But the average white guy is just so, I don't know, enamored with his own being born on second or third base that he thinks he can do that. So I try to be sensitive about that, too, because I don't want to, you know, further that mythos. But then again. I'll look at something and I'll say, yeah, I can figure that out. You know, I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I know smart people and I know where the books are and I know what I don't know and I'm willing to learn the things that I don't know. And so I've said this in job interviews. The worst thing you can do in a job interview is fake your way through a topic that you don't know because somebody in that room is probably going to know something about that. You'll sound like an idiot. Yeah. So I will say things flat out like, no, you know, that's an area I could learn, but yeah, I'm looking forward to learning that I can do that. I've learned other things and I'll explain some things. So, you know, I've learned in the past. How I've been a quick study and been able to you know, learn a different industry over time because I'm willing to accept help. So I show that, you know, and it's, and it's true, you know, I, I'm willing to accept help. I'm willing to have people, you know, guide me and to the point where I can know enough to make the decisions. So in the leadership roles I've had, I have, I have to be in a position to make a decision for the organization. That doesn't mean I make it on my own. What that means is I I talk to my teammates and say, give me all that information. I used to watch Steve Gould at Lakeland in these contentious leadership team meetings where he had a leadership team. I don't know, had like 16 people in it. Everybody was on that leadership team and people would have these debates about something and people would chime in that had nothing to do with the topic. And Steve would sit back and he'd listen and listen and listen and he'd go on for an hour and finally he'd just, you know, open his mouth, everybody would get quiet, and he'd say, Here's what we're gonna do. And yes, he made the decision, but he had taken in all this input and probably a lot more behind the scenes. And so what a leader is supposed to be able to do is see the entire environment. So the leader has to be able to talk to this division, that division, the board of trustees, the alumni, the athletic supporters, and synthesize that input and then be able to explain to people why you're making a decision this certain way. So it isn't, a good leader isn't necessarily the person who's smart enough to make these decisions all on their own, but they know how to find the people they can trust. And so I think if I have one skill set that I've relied on more than anything else, ah, boy, I'll probably jinx myself, but I think it's being able to judge character and know when I can, at a certain point, when I can really trust somebody to rely on their input Mm -hmm. in order to make a decision. And I've never been a bet the farm type of guy when it comes to decisions. Maybe that's, you know, stopped me from, you know, maybe that stopped me from being a corner office partner at a law firm, but I've always been that kind of cautious yet continual process and improvement type, not the big gamble. You know, I've had my failures. Yes. But I don't like the big gamble that sets you back so far. You can't recover from it. that requires a lot of input from a lot of different people and a lot of trust that makes sense
0: i don't know for sure it all it all comes together very much so Um, i
1: look confused i'm just absorbing what you're
0: saying that's just his face that's my face (laughs) don't worry about that confused face (laughs) um so we we talked about this i mean we talked about this earlier and this is the one thing that i kind of gave you a heads up for for this interview and I think this is a, a, a perfect spot to, to bring it in. Um, we always throw uh, a six-pack to our, to our guests. And uh, for our, our, our Beyond the Bar episodes, our second episodes of the week, we do a, a, a six-pack of something. And, and, you know, our six best, our Mount Rushmore's plus two, um, if you will. And one of my uh, earliest memories with you it was like at a scholarship luncheon or something, and I was I was lucky enough to to be sitting next to you for it. Oh, well, lucky you! And, and you uh, uh, you you made the comments of you have failed yourself into um to many successes. Um, and at the time I was like a junior in college, and I had no idea. Like that's funny. I'm gonna tweet that. And did <laughs> and, uh, and and got some good. One of my one of my best tweets of all time. Got a lot of a lot of likes on that. And, uh, but, uh, as, as, you know, I think we've, we've, we've grown and we've, we've, we've learned more that that statement makes a lot of sense. Um, especially once you get into your professional world, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so what I want your six pack to be are your, uh, your six, uh, biggest failures that have led to success. And obviously if you want to uh, mm. describe that, that, that <laughs> saying a little bit first to give the, yeah. the, the people what the,
2: what it means. Yeah, that's one of those great fake Zen sayings that can mean anything you want it to mean. You know, what's it mean to you, Jake? Um, and you know, we, you kind of gave me a you know a heads up on this question. I, and I thought about it for a while because I, I laughed because I remembered you tweeting that out, and I think you thought I was going to get mad or something like that. But you know, I don't know. I think
0: that was no fear.
2: Funny. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But then I started thinking about it a little bit more seriously, and I said, you know what? That in retrospect, that that could be, really be an asshole comment because, you know, I already touched on this a little bit, the privileges I've had throughout my life of the assumptions people make based upon the education I've I've been privileged to get, the color of my skin, my gender, my, you know, I never want, I wasn't rich growing up, but I never went hungry. I always had a house, had I had, you know, first generation Air Jordans when all my friends got them, you know, I, I had what I needed to grow up and... So, when I look back on a statement like that, especially after what's what's been coming to light and I've been focusing on and trying to learn the past few years, sometimes I feel like a jerk for saying that because it's it goes back to this mediocre white guy always gets the job guilt mm. that I'm probably going to struggle with for the rest of my life. So what the what but then I think to myself, what failures have done to me is they've made me work harder and harder and harder and harder. Uh, and I got to a point in my life. I think my first big failure was applying for law schools. I was a smart kid coming out of coming out of high school, national merit scholar. You know, got into Beloit College. You know, lots of scholarships. Did well there. Applied to law schools. Thought I was going to go to you know Harvard or Berkeley or Stanford, and got shut out everywhere. Um, Indiana University took a gamble on me. And that's when I kind of realized, you know, everyone's got great grades. Everyone t- takes tests well at a certain level. And so I went to Indiana University, you know, a Big Ten school, you know, second tier law school. And, you know, I went there and I said, OK, I'm going to show everybody I'm going to, you know, be the best law student, best lawyer in the world because fuck you, because I'm going to show you. And so I worked really, really hard. And in a stupid contracts class i got a b if i'd gotten a b plus i would have made law review and law review is like you make law review then the job offers just come flowing in Hmm. and so i i didn't make law review and i went and asked the professor you know i said you know i got a b and there's not a mark on the paper you know it's just a b on the cover of the blue book no commentary no circling of this question's bad or this answer is bad he looked at it he, he didn't know who i was you know it's a class of 150 students or whatever and he just goes well it probably was a b exam so you know so uh, yeah i i viewed that as a huge failure that i didn't make law review because the people my peers the people i was studying with and kind of associating with in law school they're all like oh we're on law review you know we're the smart people we're going to get jobs and so that motivated me even harder and you get into this lot, this job process where you're looking for the law firm job, you know, you all want the fancy New York or Chicago or Indianapolis or Indiana job. And so I started applying for those jobs. I had 10 interviews lined up with big law firms in Chicago. I got nine rejections, you know, immediately, like the day after I get back, they, per- they must have put it in the mail the same day. And so my 10th interview was with this law firm in Chicago and interviewing partners down at IU. And he goes, well, why do you wanna work at Lord Bissell? And I told him, I said, well, this is my 10th and last interview at a large law firm. And I've tried to be eager, you know. I've tried to be you know, professional and aloof, and I'm not quite sure what's working, but here's what I know, I will work harder than anybody else at that law firm. And I, but I'm just not sure how enthusiastic to be about this interview process. So he just kind of sits back and he goes, well, this is interesting. He'll just be as enthusiastic as you want. And so I honestly said this, I said, I want the damn job. And he just kind of looks back and kind of laughs. And we just chatted a little bit and I left and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to apply for, a you know, I'll start looking at other jobs. And a few days later, I got a job offer from that firm. And so I went to this big firm in Chicago, Indiana University graduate, with st- kids from Stanford, Chicago, Yale, Harvard. And I swore I was going to work harder than them. And <laughs> and so I worked hard. I worked as hard as I could. And it still wasn't enough, you know, because I didn't have that pedigree. And it just pissed me off. And it just made me work even harder and harder. That's probably why I ended up leaving, because I was so burnt out after six years. I just couldn't leave it all on the floor. But it was just... I just couldn't believe that, you know, it just that people, you know, there was this other tier that I couldn't make, you know, that I just couldn't get into. And it just frustrated me. And I ended up when I, I ended up becoming the highest paid associate at the law firm um, because I like to think I was the best one there because I worked the hardest and, you know, hustled as hard as I could. And then I would leaving the law. I already told you guys, I'm leaving the law firm. I got a lot of grief for that. I had a partner tell me you're throwing your career away. Why are you doing this? So that was another fuck you moment for me where I'm like, okay, I'm going to fail at this. You know, he basically was calling me a failure. Yeah. So I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So that it's, it's just been that motivation. And you know, I guess that's kind of a cheap and easy answer for what the failure is. Um, but there's been things in my professional career that have not worked and i can tell you some i can tell you some at lakeland that did not work the way i thought they would work that failed and i learned something from uh and you you guys tell me what you think of these things because you were at lakeland the the success coach success coach initiative you know that was my idea you know change res life into success coaches um and in my opinion yeah, it was a failure
1: right oh, not for me I wouldn't have graduated yeah. college without Whitney as my success coach. I was
2: I was beat up. Well, and, she was
1: awesome. Yeah, so I mean maybe great. it was well, but yeah, anyways, I, I thought it was a good one. Like I honestly like wholeheartedly don't believe I would have graduated if I didn't have that kind of support yeah. there.
0: I think I think it was it was one of those situations like I think a lot of things at any small school for that matter um is it was a very and it still is a very good resource for those who take advantage of it and if you're not going to take advantage of it you're not going to get those those benefits we both we were in Whitney's office multiple times a day every day (laughs) of course we got the we got the benefit of it but if you were someone that you know wasn't we knew people that never talked to their success coach and you know we don't know how much their success coach might have been reaching out to them they're not going to have that you know that same resource and that that you
2: know that same success with it yeah, I just don't think it it ever morphed into kind of what I had hoped. Sure, um, yeah, it had a yeah. lot of it had a lot of institutional resistance to the concept mm-hmm. from all angles. Um, there were some faculty who didn't like it. There was, you know, administrative staff that didn't like it because it wasn't the usual, you know, res life, you know, model. Um, and so I, I kind of feel like I got talked into watering it down somewhat from what I from the models that I had seen at other schools, but that was also a combination of, you know, boy, we did not have many resources when I got there at all, you know? So it was kind of, what do you pay for? You know, how can we accomplish all the things that we need to accomplish with, you know, only with the resources we have, with the budget for, you know, six people in the department when you could probably use 12, but that's the nonprofit world. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I kind of feel like, um, I kind of feel like my time at Lakeland, the longer I was there, the more I let myself get talked out of making changes that I thought would have been good for the for the school. And, you know, I thought the name change and the restructuring of the schools, that's all been kind of redone like four times, I think, since I've left, you know, <laughs> well, the, you know, I can't even keep track of, you know, which dean and, you know, which school, which departments in which school anymore. But like I said, I think the longer I was there, I got worn down, um, And I think people were kind of Uh, change-fatigued. Lakeland had not changed in, you know, 14 years. You know, Steve Gould was a huge innovator, and he became president, and I think things got a little locked into place, and then he became ill, and things got more locked into place. And uh, there was this young, you know, this kind of middle group of faculty there that are still there, and they're just amazing. You know, the Paul Pickarts and the Brian Frinks and the April Arvins. Hell, yeah. You know, some of the newer ones that come on board, uh, you know, Brittany Minert and boy, this graphic design professor started right before, you know, there's, you know, the Josh Cutneys, you know, there's this, there's this group of, uh, you know, just real student directed broad thinkers that I was trying to kind of get them a voice, you know, on the faculty. And there were some faculty there had been there a long time, you know, you know, love the students, great relationships with the students, but. You know, they were just kind of like, "This is what we do. This yeah. is what Lakeland is. This is what we do. People can like us and come here or not, which I'm sure makes your day great, Jake." I mean, people, oh, yeah, you know, take that approach. <laughs> come here or not, you know, like it or not. So I, I think, in some ways, you know, a failure would have been, you know, I guess I probably didn't build the alliances and. and I don't know, coalitions I needed to do to kind of push some further change that I had on my mind. And then at a certain point, I said, you know what, it's been a good run. I'm going to go, you know, while things are good. Go to, go to Sarasota. <laughs> go to Sarasota. You know, kids are graduating from high school. You know, I didn't have to stay in Sheboygan anymore. But, you know, yeah, you, there's always a little bit of a hindsight saying what would have been different if I had, you know, maybe taken a slightly different approach. Yeah, but then again, I'm not sure I was a higher ed guy to begin with. Well, you helped and us th- get I a wrestling that... room, so that's cool. Yes.
1: <laughs> What's that? You he helped us get a wrestling room, so that was pretty sweet.
2: <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe who was coaching. Was that Darone? That was Darone yeah. back in the day. Yeah, I couldn't believe he wanted it. That was one of the first big decisions I made there. He's like, "We want this room." I'm like, "Really?"
1: You could have given that this. guy like, "We a... want this
0: garage, put a mat in it."
1: Could have given that guy yeah. a
0: dirty cave, and he would have been happy with it. <laughs> Just we want something where no. you don't have to roll the mats up at the end
2: of every season.
0: Um, but
2: yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't know if I had six things in there, but no,
0: I think that's, that's good. And, in and, 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 the spot about Lakeland there, I think those comments can, can bring to the forefront. And, and I think it goes with any institution, most institutions, whether it be higher ed or something else that even, you know, the guy that is, or, or, or girl that is top, you know, quote unquote, at the the top of the food chain there, that president or, or, or leader There's a lot more than just getting in that room and making decisions and and making those changes. There's a lot more that goes into that and and and, um, you know the you know you you told me this, um, when I when I started working at Lakeland and you know you know that my you know career path that you know at one point I hope is uh, is to become a
2: university president. I know you and Romaine Johnson wanted my job from day one.
0: Yes. So and, and and I think one of the the best pieces of advice that you gave me is being a president takes like it's a great job but it takes a lot of sort of humility and and just being able to in one ear and out the other because a lot of people are not going to like what you have to say or what you're going to doing a lot of people are but 50 percent are not going to like it and they're going to they're going to comment about it so you have to be able to just take that on the chin and and move on a lot of times
2: well and that's a challenge anytime you change a job you know, so, you know, Jeremy, when you find your next nonprofit job, you're going to go to an organization and you're going to be the new guy and you won't have, you won't have the, uh, the credit built up from a few years of working with people where, you know, you can, they'll know you enough to like trust your ideas. So you have to build that up. Anytime you change a job, you get this short little window, this honeymoon window of, you know, oh, new, we'll be nice to them. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the leader or if you're leader of a department or, you know. A, you know, someone on the program floor, you get this little window of time. But then after that, it's kind of like, you got to earn, <laughs> you got to earn any credits you can. And I don't think I had enough credits at Lakeland. I, I expended them in the first like two years with all those budget cuts we had to go through at the time. And you remember, we bought out some faculty members and mm. some of them were super grateful for that, which made my day, you know, because they could retire and take a you know buyout package and get health insurance. But um, yeah, that was. I did have the. I did have an idea back then. This is back then. I wanted an esports team. Oh, here we are. <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to even talk about it.
1: Because <clears throat> so you didn't have about a mountain Green on your side. So that's exactly <laughs> right.
2: It didn't. Ha- it, that's exactly right. So that was a great move. And I'm. A, by the way, I'm a huge Beth Morgan fan. Um, Absolutely, she's incredible. Absolutely
0: incredible. Yeah, she's. I mean, it's only been officially a month today that she's been the president but she is um, yeah i'm i'm very excited to see how you know how her her uh her her run at president is yeah. uh continues i'm it's been great so far yeah
2: great pick great because yes. she was she was uh assistant vp of development or advancement when i was there and then when uh the vp left i'm thinking oh crap i gotta you know what am i gonna do here and she comes to my office and she goes i want the job and so i said oh you know and she she was you know She's just so well organized. I said, "Okay, tell you what, how about six month interim? That'll be, you know, let's see how it goes." After about a month, I was like, "Okay, this is yeah. not going to get any better than this." Yeah. So that was a, you know, bless her, you know, for a super easy decision. Yes. Um, yeah, but she's great. She's she's awesome.
0: So, um, Jeremy, you have any other questions here?
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my last question, because. Sitting here creeping your LinkedIn for like the 15th (laughs) time today and just the list of things that are on here. Um, I I just want to know, like, what what has been like one of the most memorable moments of your professional career and like, like, what point did you kind of realize that you belonged in a nonprofit world rather than like a corporate law world or a different lawyer position like that? Hmm my favorite question to ask people is what's your favorite moment from something that you
2: do yeah wow that's a real that's a yeah man you ask good questions well (laughs) i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna answer a slightly different question i'm gonna answer the most impactful professional moment
1: that's even that works for me too
2: and that was when i got home from work when i was at the law firm in chicago and i took the train home out to the suburbs I got home and it was like 11.05 PM and I got home and I walked in my daughter's room. She was about a year old. And I realized I had not seen her awake the entire week because I had left before she got up and got home when she was in bed. And that was my first kid. And that's when I decided this just is not worth it. You know, it's just, there's, there's nothing, you know, no corner office or Lincoln park, Brownstone, cool house that I could get someday was gonna be worth that. And I'll never ever forget that moment, you know, in that bedroom, seeing her there, just asleep again. You know, I still kind of tear up a little bit when I think of that. But you know, professionally that was probably the most so I said then and there, I said I'm I'm gone. And I made myself a plan. And a year later I was out. It took me a year to get out of the law firm, but you know, I was I was gone. I was out. And I think the time where I realized I was I belonged in the nonprofit world. You know it was shortly after i got to the field museum and i was just you know working my tail off trying to prove myself there and i'd been there i think you know 10 months and they had the employee appreciation banquet and they gave me the employee of the year award and i was just like totally befuddled because you know i'd been there like you know been there a year and i got it and then some other people they gave out three other ones people had been there like you know 10 years and they told me that I got it because, you know, I just came there and just tried to help every single way, shape and form I could. And they don't often see that with people coming from the for-profit world. And the fact that they kind of recognized that really made me understand that, okay, you know, I was doing these, th- you know, I was doing all these things like fixing their, you know, they had these education programming contracts that were like 17 pages. I cut it down to like a page and a half that anybody could read in English, you know? of this 13 page contract and I was just trying to make things easier for them to do their jobs. And they were just so grateful that I was like, I didn't feel like I'd ever been thanked before for anything (laughs) I had done professionally. And that's, that's, you know, you know, I haven't done the client facing stuff, you know, like you guys face clients, you know, you face human beings. I've never really done that in my job. You know, I faced judges and angry rich people that were paying my salary So that was the first time I ever felt like I was actually helping people. And believe it or not, you guys get that all the time. You guys get that every day. And I hope at some point you step back and you think, okay, as crazy as that was, as tiring as that was, I actually helped somebody today. I didn't just bump the stock price of the bank holding company up an eighth of a point. And you guys will move on from your nonprofit jobs at some point. But man, find another one. And just tell them you can do it. Just say, oh, yeah, I can do this. And you'll figure it out. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> I love
1: it. <laughs> I thought of one last question. I promise this is the last one for me. Okay. So um, what is one piece of advice you would give to one someone, like, one, someone entering the nonprofit world for the first time or to someone looking for that
2: next opportunity in the nonprofit world? Well, I'm going to relate this to a debate I had at Lakeland about the nonprofit management program at Lakeland. Um, my advice to people is get real world experience, whether it's for profit or not, because it's all transferable skills. If you're a marketing person, learn how to. I learned, man, the boot camp of being in the for profit world. You will learn so much so quickly that you can transfer that stuff to the to the. I mean, in the for profit world. You learn so much so quickly to transfer that usefully to the nonprofit world and skill sets they desperately need. So if people have designs on a career in the nonprofit world, sure, maybe you want to be a counselor. That's great. That's very specialized. But if you don't have that type of spouse, you're not going to be a curator or a counselor. I always use those examples. Be a great graphic design person, be a great accountant, you know, be a great, uh, you know, it person and then find the nonprofit place that needs your skill set and grow from there because you've got that for-profit technical experience, and you'll then you know your passion's there, and that'll take you a long ways. So don't think that you have to start out in the nonprofit world, or that that's you know the only way you can do it is to you know get a counseling degree. I you know I that's not the best example, but man, you know we need those skill sets in the nonprofit world. And then when it comes to you know time to think about you know, career moves. Um, Volunteer. I tell people this, especially in hard times, economic times. Volunteer. Ask to be on a board of a nonprofit and learn what they do. Um, You know, volunteer whatever skill set you have with a nonprofit and put it on your freaking resume. I mean, that's what I did. You know, it's not on my resume anymore, but (laughs) as a lawyer, I started volunteering for some nonprofit organizations. I'd do some stuff for them and go on my resume because I'd have to learn how to do it. And so you can kind of build that skill set portfolio even if you're not getting paid to do it. Talk to people. If you see somebody who has a job you think's freaking awesome, call them up and just say, I think your job's freaking awesome. How'd you get it? They will talk, to, listen to me, you know, <laughs> they'll talk your ear off about it. And it's happened to me before where I've done that. That's how I got basically how I got that job out in Midland. A guy remembered talking to me years ago and saying, hey, you know, he'd be perfect for this. But you just got to call people and talk to them. Find those nonprofit jobs that you think are awesome and figure out how they got there. And you'll probably be number one surprised that it's not as complicated as you think. And number two, you're going to make yourself available and open for those opportunities as they come up, because you're going to be on people's radar screens. Yeah.
1: All right. My last, last, last question. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> this one's more of a fun one. Um, would you recommend we put beer with the boys on our resumes?
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. No, no doubt. I mean, having it, yeah, you know, yeah having a podcast i mean now that we have yeah, more appropriate
1: wouldn't. title names of episodes i think it, it'll be all right no you, you
2: put <laughs> just don't you, listen to the first five <laughs> yeah. skip those Well, sure well you when you do that you have to give them some sample episodes give them the episodes you're proud of links to them mm-hmm. but no you, you know you say you know podcast beer with the boys but then you explain what it is you know so yeah. it doesn't sound like you're just you know it's not like a you know drunken not just uh, getting hammered and talking it used yeah, to be but exactly. it's a little more mature now <laughs> yeah but and no I, right. yeah i absolutely would and i gotta get you I know mean, i i got all this awesome podcast equipment of course it didn't work today but <laughs> it looks really awesome get, it, it looks great yeah right? it looks wise. great <laughs> but no it's a skill and the thing is it's a skill set man you guys are turning out content on a on a calendar scheduled basis and absolutely tout that
1: all right it's going on the resume tonight. done um, updating now done yeah. um
0: so i have a. Two more questions, but we save those to the end—the uh, the fun ones—to to leave the leave the show with. But before we get into to those, what uh, what questions do you have for us?
2: Oh man, huh.
1: this is when they find we find out that people everyone don't gets listen. shocked at it. Like this is an <laughs> yeah. interview. You're supposed to ask questions at the end.
2: <laughs> okay, what's hey. it gonna? How much will you pay me not to turn your t- turn you and Brandon in for skipping convo sessions? revoking your degree <laughs> i listened to that podcast oh,
1: uh, i i went to all my convocation
2: we we, we showed up <laughs> yeah we were there, there were some other debates about convo session <laughs> five. I was there that was interesting too um well what did lakeland do for you guys Ooh. what did lakeland do for you guys seriously good question
1: that is a good question thank um, you go ahead
2: i'll go go ahead um
0: for for me i mean i've 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 talked about it on a few episodes here you know here and there in bits and pieces but no honestly i think lakeland truly helped me find myself um as best as i as i as as i can i grew up middle of nowhere only child um extremely incredibly shy like i would go to family Christmas and kind of sit in the corner and not even talk to my relatives. And, uh, and let alone my cousins who are the same age as me, it's, you know, I'd talk to my parents and that was, that was about it. And sure. I had my, you know, a few, few friends and, you know, a few guys on the wrestling team that I would have connections with. But other than that, like there, I was never jumping on a stage and and talking or anything. I was in choir and I was in, I was the only reason I was in the front row is because I was short and they needed to put me there, but I didn't, I was not the most electric person up on the stage um but when I got to Lakeland you know it was in the very first like orientation presentation and they used the cheesy words like you can like change who you are or something like that you get to decide who you are from here on out and I just took it personally like I went back to my dorm room I you know made a twitter and uh you know did you know a bunch of other things and and just started like not worrying about anything else like I knew one person two people at that school that you know I went to school with before and otherwise I just you know went and got involved in things I didn't think you know going into college that I would ever be in a fraternity when the opportunity presented itself I just kind of showed up and and you know a bunch of things was just showing up and 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 it it just that decision to decide who I wanted to be was a guy that just showed up and, and and got things done and um and got involved and got on stage and you know you know did a goofy dance for orientation or stripped oh, for mr Muskie or whatnot <laughs> and just doing things i never would have done in high school um and and that being able to to show up and, and open up like that just led to building more and more connections getting a chance to to, to meet you getting a chance to meet um and and talk more in depth with with prof shilkut and and these and 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 sam who we we had on you know the podcast and is now my my boss every day and you know countless other people that i just all of a sudden i was doing that and then i didn't have to go to them all the time they were coming to me saying hey that was a cool mr musky performance or that was a you know cool wrestling match you know this that and the other thing and um it just led to a lot of opportunities so um you know going into college I by no means thought I would be working in college admissions and in you know, by no means thought I'd be where I am today but I wouldn't wouldn't change it for for a thing and it really just it made me 100 percent who I am today and and brought me it broke that shell and uh now I you know I'm the one that's uh saying the toast at every family Christmas and Thanksgiving and didn't get to do it this year but I'm the one that they asked to do that and when on my grandparents 50th uh wedding anniversary they made me do the toast in front of the whole family and basically in front of the whole restaurant so it's like uh-huh. i went from the kid that was in the corner to the kid that is in front of everybody now wow
2: yeah i ain't bad it, jeremy got the job done. Well,
1: you didn't thank me or mention me in that at all so it's fine well, I'll, I, I'll skim over you in my part
2: too
1: um no um so wait what was the question fully again i i was so like i just listened um i forgot the question it's what lakeland did for me yeah okay okay i can handle that um yeah um i guess to start lakeland gave me the the chance to do something that i always dreamed of as a kid was wrestling college um and i I guess initially that's all i took lakeland at for face value is just i'm gonna be able to wrestle here and i'm gonna i'm gonna graduate college cool awesome can't wait for these four years to be done um <clears throat> but it's like uh, like Andy Bernard said um, in the office, is, uh too bad you don't know when the good day, or the I forgot this quote. I, I wish somebody would
0: tell us when you're in the good old days before they've already passed or something like yeah. that. Boom, oh, there
1: it is. Thank you. Because um, that's kind of definitely what it felt like. Uh, like. Lakeland gave me some of the best friends that I've ever had and will probably ever have in, in my life. Um, And being a first-generation college student, like my, neither of my parents went to, any form of like uh, a four-year college they both went to like attended a community college for a certificate or two or something like Mm -hmm. that um and Lakeland just gave me I guess a a new oh the dog scared me um gave me a new a new outlook on like just how the professional world works and how like life changes and I'm going for education because I want to be a biology teacher but the damn praxis will so kick my butt every time in this in the writing portion, or I don't even know if they were trying to get more money out of me or whatever it was in that time. I missed it by a point each time. Like I passed every other one, missed the praxis by one point. Um, took a incredibly difficult class, immunology. It was like a level four hundred biology class that was just way over my head. Like I realized biology was not my um, was not the the degree I should be pursuing, but I was already in my senior year of college and ended up failing that course Um, and just having to learn and adjust throughout like that time really helped me open up like there's a list of people I could thank from Whitney to to you mentioned him before Um, Paul Pickert one of the great my favorite professor of all time at Lakeland like that dude (laughs) I don't know what he saw I don't know what he saw in me but he would always take the time out and like bring me into his office and like sit me down and be like, Hey, we got to talk about like what's going on. Like another huge reason that I graduated from Lakeland. Um, and I think just knowing like that support system is there. Cause I went to a giant high school and like you had to claw and fight for every bit of support and extra help you can get. Cause there's like 2,500 students at my high school. Mm-hmm. Like you, there's just not the, like the faculty to support that. Um, but learning like that existed and like to really learn and utilize your the people that you relate to and the people that you can kind of find a home in I guess to where you can go you feel comfortable bringing like whatever situation going on like if you ask Whitney I, I get probably went to her with more problems than I, I ever should have because she would just she would open doors she'd be like all right what's going on and she would just sit there and listen every time and like no matter what the issue was, she would just let me vent, and that's just a it's such a huge thing to to be able to do. And I don't think that any other, I mean, maybe some smaller universities kind of have that same feel, but like, I knew I wouldn't have made it at, at a NIU or anything like that, like Northern Illinois or anything like that, because it's just too big of a school. And Lakeland kind of just, I think, really helped form or mold my brain into thinking that like, okay, maybe you didn't have the best grades, but You learned a damn lot while you were like struggling through those certain situations and that's what's going to set you apart from 4.0 uw madison students applying to the same job and i think that was huge for me because it's definitely carried me along this far so
2: learned how to grind learned how to grind so what are you going to do jeremy what are you going to (laughs) do
1: next then What's, Um, what's next Damn, that's a loaded question. Um, I've been, <laughs> I've been contemplating what's next for probably a year and a half. Um, I honestly don't know. Um, I have some dream jobs, um, a job that I'd really love to do and pursue, but it's just extremely difficult and I, I haven't fully committed to wanting to be on that level of grind again. Um, Is pursuing something like a brewmaster position like that that'd be my dream job just like Hmm. working in a brewery making beer doing that i feel like i look i fit the part my look fits it (laughs) Um, but i just love the science behind it and all of that and it's just such a hard way to go Um, but i think more realistically i I, it's something along in the nonprofit world but um where i'm at it, it doesn't fit i guess my own mission statement um, so I'm trying to find a place that fits that. And I think that's more along like some sort of education lines where I'm working in a lower income community and just helping out like wherever I can. Something along those lines.
2: Sounds awesome. Let's do a show about I had a friend once who she had this mentality that you you should have your own personal board of trustees. You know, a university has a board of trustees. Yeah. Everyone should have their own personal board of trustees, a circle of people that you, you sit down with three times a year and they kind of assess where you're at and they give you advice. And then you've got your own personal mission statement, your own personal value statement. You treat yourself like a nonprofit and you make your strategic plan. There's a good show for you guys. Oh,
1: yeah. So you're on our board of trustees now. Um, welcome uh, to, <laughs> we'll, we'll have our lawyer um hopefully you know are you still practicing yeah. law could be our lawyer no. um well so do some bylaws okay. capped up some bylaws <laughs> he'll be our, our lawyer now that, that i'd like that that'd be fun yeah. fun episode instead of the cross-examination the board of trustees
2: the board of trustees meeting personal board of trustees really, i like that right. personal mission statement personal strategic plan yeah, cause that was something
1: i learned at, at college possible um we like just talking about your own mission statement and 'Cause like working in that environment where you're a white dude going to predominantly black high school, like sticking to your mission statement and not kind of switching things up is a big thing of it. So cool. Yeah, I like that.
0: Awesome. Any other questions you have for us?
2: Mm, how dare you? No, I don't know. <laughs> no.
0: Good deal. Good deal. Well, hey, that was a good one. It got us got us talking in our fields a little bit. So oh. we have <laughs> Two final questions here. The first one here, I'll call it a fan favorite. It's one of our, it's our favorite. So um, this one, if you, you listen to the episodes, you know what's coming. Yep. In the inevitable world, <laughs> Hollywood makes that movie about you. And uh, to make sure that it wins a couple of Oscars, a couple of awards, uh, who is playing you in that movie and who is playing your two favorite podcasters?
2: Okay. Yeah, I, I had a chance to prepare for this. You caught some other people <laughs> unawares, but I, I, I did some thinking. You prepared so I'm going to totally pander to you guys. I'm going to go for a couple of Ryans. So Jake, I think Ryan Reynolds plays you. Okay. He's got okay. that sarcasm, you know, that kind of, <laughs> you know, edgy goofiness to him. Fair enough. And then Jeremy, it's going to be Ryan Gosling. Because, you know, a little bit more on the quiet side, kind of, you know, a little more soulful than Ryan Reynolds. So the two Ryans. Okay, so both
1: Canadian. Look at that. Yeah, it's the first oh, they, time I got yeah. a Canadian okay. actor. Right. So
2: that's already so, a hell of a movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd watch that. All right. Well, who's, who's playing, playing you? you? I would. I would. You know, that's always an ego laden question. <laughs> but I think just who I would dearly love to be associated with would be Tom Hanks. I just love cool. Tom that Hanks. Fits. good answer. That works. I would love for Tom Hanks to do an interpretation. Of my life somehow. We gotta make that movie happen now. I just that cast already.
1: Yes, I'm sold.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm see, I had a chance I'm to sold. think about it. So actually.
1: Tom Hanks, you know. that fits you though. That's a that's a good fit.
0: That's that's what I, I like. Excellent fit. I, I wasn't thinking it and then you said it. Snap. Yep. That's Tom Hanks right there. I love it. All right. So see well well done being prepared for uh for the interview and our final question here. <laughs> This is going to be a, oh. a new one that I ask more. Um, oh my God. Have it, have, this is one. the last one, I promise. So on, on beyond the bar, we like to finish each episode with some closing time wisdom. You know, that, that last thing, you know, the old guy next to you finishes his drink and he leaves you with something before he throws his glass down and gets out of there. What is your closing time wisdom for, uh, for us? The best piece
2: of advice you can give for each of us. Good things come to those who wait. But only the things that are left behind by others who hustle. Boom. That makes sense.
0: Yes. Yeah. Go
2: out and get it. Get it. Yeah, because I there's somebody in my life would always tell me that good things come to those who wait. And I was like bullshit. <laughs> you know, all that's you get then is the stuff, the scraps left behind. Yeah. So don't fall for that. thanks
1: not fall for
0: it. I love I like it. it. And with that, this has been, this has been an awesome episode of Beer with the Boys. Oh, yeah. I am, I'm excited. I'm ready to go take <laughs> on the world right now.
2: Well, oh, it's really good to see you guys. You guys were just students like you, you know, I, I was thinking back like, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll be brief. But there were students like you and, you know, Romaine Johnson and Eris Hargrove and, you know, all those, all those beta guys. I'm going to leave some of them off. They're going to get mad. You know who my favorite beta is. <laughs> you know who you are. Um, You know, uh, uh, boy, what's her name? Uh, Wallen, what was her name? Kate Kate, Kate Wallen, oh my God, how could I figure her first name? You know, Rachel Milner, there's all these students (laughs) from that era that were just so awesome. You know, Jacob Nault, I mean, just, just a steady stream of just quality, quality human beings. So, I you know, I kind of fell out of love with my college for a while, but in the past few years, I've started trying to give them 50 bucks every now and then. Because I kind of realized what my college did for me as a young person, I got mad at them for reasons that aren't important, but I'm glad to hear you guys kind of realize what a special place Lakeland was and you know what it can do for people
0: yeah absolutely yeah so it's a uh, yeah I mean I, I think you can't say it better than that I'm not even gonna try so Just gotta go back um, and
1: edit all the f- bombs that you dropped so.
0: Yep, yep, we can't swear on this. So So. unpresidential. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with that, this has been Beer with the Boys. Um, He has been Dan Eck, the legend himself. I have been j Doc. He's been Scooter. Y'all have been amazing. May the beer be with you and also with your soul. We love you.